It's 12.08. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A couple housekeeping matters before we start the show. First of all, next Monday night, it is our holiday Christmas show. Eric Bilstead, we had the live table read last night where we actually got to see the script for the first time. What do you think? We got to see the script for the first time. It's going to be a lot of fun. It it is. So you're happy with it? This is... Well, happy or not, I'm there. You know, it's it, it's no, it and it, it actually, it, it's always a lot of fun, and there's a lot of surprises, and I think it's going to be very entertaining for folks. Um, this is the first year it is original. I mean, two years ago, um, you know, we well, we, we had a couple of different variations. We did "It's a Wonderful Life," mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we did a, a Christmas, Christmas Carol, Carol, and this yeah. is a, this is an original presentation, and there's going to be lots of surprises and stuff, and lots of laughs, and I think people are going to have a lot of fun. There are a lot of cameos this year. There more are so than normal. There are a lot of cameos, and um, I, I have. I have some interaction with some of the guests. It's going to be very, very interesting <laughs> on, um, on on a number of different levels. Let me just say that. And I was actually telling my wife a little bit about this, and she says, you're really going to do that? And then, yeah, and then you're really going to do that? And you're really going to, oh, so, okay. So she's like, all right. We'll, so we, we, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun. And, and so the, the other great thing is if you can't go and if you don't have tickets, Oh, as we were telling people, this is sold out. Matter of fact, our marketing director essentially said, um, if people ask you for tickets, the answer is no, because there's just nothing out there anymore. Right. There, there's just nothing out there anymore. But um, a portion of the proceeds from the tickets do go to uh, Kids to Kids Christmas, which is absolutely outstanding. And we do want to emphasize that we are going to be broadcasting that on multiple occasions during December. So if you're not able to come and join us at Turner Hall on Monday night, you will have a chance to hear that. So we've got that coming up, the Kids to Kids Christmas kickoff. Then two days later, um, on the that's the 27th, on the 29th, which is a Wednesday night, if you happen to be in the area of Washington County, you know, on, th- on this program, we-, we talk a lot about juvenile crime, and 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 again, I'm a law enforcement guy. I- I'm not I, the, trying to figure out root causes of crime. That- that's for people who are smarter than me. All right, but I mean, I-, I talk about once people commit crimes, there needs to be accountability. But obviously, if you can steer kids the right way, if you can get them, keep them off the streets, and give them alternatives to going out and taking guns and sticking them in people's faces and taking their cars, that 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 is a superior alternative. And um, I'm going to be involved in something on Wednesday night, a week from tomorrow, called the Taste of Washington County. And it's where a number of area restaurants, a lot of restaurants, you know, get together and uh, you, you buy tickets. I think the tickets are $45, and then you can come in and you, you can you know, sample fare from all these different restaurants. It's held at the Washington County Fairgrounds. But it's a fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Clubs. And, um, and, and you know, th- these... You know, these are organizations that are devoted towards, you know, giving kids positive alternatives, you know, things and choices and helping keep them off the streets. And it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful cause. And when they asked me to help them out this year, I was more than happy to do it. I'm going to be one of the servers out there. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of I'm sort of looking forward to that. I'm going to be joined by my friend George Prescott. His name is up on one of the boys. And he, he he's sort of the unofficial mayor of, of Washington County. And I know Washington. Washington County doesn't have mayors, but if the county had a mayor, George would be it. His name is up on one of the uh, one of the, the different boys and girls clubs, and he's a big supporter. And we're looking forward to that. So, um, Taste of Washington County, it's very very popular. If you are in that area and you're looking for something to do and a cause to support, next a week from tomorrow night, uh, hope to see you there. And then, then that Friday. 
um, is our first remote broadcast in connection with Kids to Kids Christmas. We'll be at VMP Manor Park um, in, in West Dallas. This is a regular stop, and it's your opportunity to stop by, drop off toys for the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. The folks at VMP Manor Park do an incredible job. They've got all sorts of great stuff there. So a big week next week, starting with, again, the Holiday Showcase, um, our holiday radio program, and, and ending on Friday with the first Kids to Kids toy collection event. Looking forward to seeing a number of people there. All right, Gru, who is producing the show today, are we ready to go with this? We are ready. All right, three big things. We start off today's program like we start off every program. The, the dominant story today, CBS Morning News co-anchor, Charlie Rose, 75 years old, a, a lion of TV journalism, gone. Gone, gone, gone. Um, he has a show on PBS where he interviews newsmakers, and you know he's pretty much interviewed every newsmaker that there is over the course of the last several decades. He's also been one of the co-anchors on the CBS Morning News, and interestingly, CBS has always lagged behind um, the Today Show and Good Morning America. They, they've always been sort of the uh, sort of the 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 ill-treated stepchild of of the broadcast networks. They, um, but the numbers have actually been going up ever since you know Charlie Rose became part of the the newscast and part of the show um, a few years ago. Well, yesterday the Washington Post comes out with a devastating story um, recounting alleged sexual misconduct by Charlie Rose going back. A number of years. It's one of the most devastating stories that I have seen in a long time. Um, and as a result of that, CBS announced today that they were firing him. He, he, he's gone. If you want to see the story itself, complete with you know the, the full account, um, we have a link. And if you simply text the word ROSE, R-O-S-E, to 414-799-1620, we will send you uh, the link to the Washington Post story. Now, you know, maybe you, you've seen other news accounts of this, but it's the full story, which is just, like I say, it is absolutely devastating. But if you want access to the whole story and you want to see it, text us the word ROSE, R-O-S-E, to 414-799-1620, and we will send you the link. I want to share just a portion of the story with you, and that's going to be the launching point for our conversation. Let me take a very quick break. When we come back, um, I want to share with you, like I say, a portion of this story, and then I have a very specific thing that I want to discuss with you. If you want access to the whole story, text me the word ROSE uh, to 414-799-1620, and we will send you the link. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1217, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, here's a portion of the story. If you want to see the whole thing, text me the word ROSE to 414-799-1620, and I'll send you a link to the Washington Post story, which which started this whole thing. Um, Here's what they report. Eight women have told the Washington Post that longtime television host Charlie Rose made unwanted sexual advances towards them, including lewd phone calls, walking around naked in their presence, or groping their breasts, buttocks, or genital areas. The women were employees or aspired to work for Rose at the Charlie Rose Show from the late 1990s to as recently as 2011. They ranged in age from 21 to 37 at the time of the alleged encounters. Rose, 75, whose show airs on PBS and Bloomberg TV, also co-hosts CBS This Morning and is a contributing correspondent for 60 Minutes. 
All right, here's the story. Most of the women say Rose alternated between fury and flattery in his interactions with them. Five described Rose putting his hands on their legs, sometimes their upper thigh, in what they perceived as a test to gauge their reactions. Two said that while they were working for Rose at his residences or were traveling with him on business, he emerged from the shower and walked naked in front of them. Huh. One said he groped her buttocks at a staff party. Rhea Bravo was an intern and then associate producer for Rose's PBS show beginning in 2007. In interviews, she described unwanted sexual advances while working for Rose at his private waterfront estate in Bellport, New York, and while traveling with him in cars and hotel suites and on a private plane. It has taken 10 years and a fierce amount of cultural reckoning for me to understand these moments for what they were, she told the Washington Post. He was a sexual predator and I was his victim. Kyle Godfrey Ryan, one of Rose's assistants in the mid-2000s, recalled at least a dozen instances where Rose walked nude in front of her while she worked in one of his New York City homes. He also repeatedly called the then 21-year-old late at night or early in the morning to describe his fantasies of her swimming naked in the Bellport pool as he watched from the bedroom. Huh. Um, it feels branded into me, the details of it, she said. She said she, she said she told Yvette Vega, Rose's longtime executive producer, about the calls um, and explained how he inappropriately spoke to me during those times. She would just shrug and say, well, that's just Charlie being Charlie. In a statement to the Washington Post, Vega said she should have done more to protect the young women on the show. I should have stood up, stood up for them. Um, said Vega, who worked with Rose since the show was created in 1991. I failed. It's crushing. I deeply regret not helping them. Godfrey Ryan said that when Rose learned she had confided to a mutual friend about his conduct, he fired her. Megan Credit worked as a coordinator on the show from 2005 to 2006. It was quite early in working there that he put his hand on my mid-thigh, she said. Um, she said during the incident, Rose was driving his Mini Cooper in Manhattan while she was sitting in the passenger seat. I don't think any, I said anything. I tensed up. I didn't move his hand off, but I pulled my legs to the other side of the car. I tried not to get in the car with him ever again. I think he was testing me out. Her then-boyfriend confirmed to the Post that she had told him to the story. In addition to the eight women who say they were harassed, the Post spoke to about two dozen former employees who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Six said they saw what they considered to be harassment. Eight said they were uncomfortable with Rose's treatment of female employees. Ten say they did not see or hear anything. And then, I mean, it goes on to talk about how he, he apparently did not behave in this fashion you know, with everybody. He was selective um, in who he chose to. Let's see, a woman then in her 30s who was at the Bellport home in 2010 to discuss a job opportunity said Rose appeared before her in an untethered bathrobe naked underneath. Huh. She said he subsequently attempted to put his hands down her pants. She said he pushed, she pushed his hands away and wept throughout the encounter. A woman who began as an intern in the late 1990s and was later hired full-time described a ritual of young women at the show being summoned by Rose to his Manhattan apartment to work at a desk there. The woman described a day when Rose went to the bathroom, left the door open, and turned on the shower. Huh. He said she began, she said he began to call her name insistently. She ignored him, she said, and continued working. Suddenly he came out of the bathroom and stood over her. She turned her head, briefly saw skin, and rose with a towel and jerked around to avoid the sight. She said, he said, didn't you hear me calling you? She said she told someone in the office and word got around. A few days later, she said a male colleague approached her laughing. Oh, you got the shower trick. 
Another woman said during her internship in the early 2000s, Rose grasped her, groped her breasts and stomach as she drove him from Bellport back to Manhattan. Her then-boyfriend, now-husband, confirmed that she described that incident to him immediately after it occurred. When Rose invited her to work regularly and stay overnight, her boyfriend told her to refuse the offer, and she did, both told the Post. Anyhow, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, you might say, but what, what, where was the workplace here? And, and part of the way it worked out is apparently um, the, the Charlie Rose show on, on PBS, it was a relatively small staff, like 10, 15 employees, and, and he was the universe of, of this. So you had all these different personal assistants and apparently a lot of, just like I, I prepare a lot of, of my show at, at my home. You know, that's you, you, a lot of the, the show prep and stuff and a lot of the work is done, the, the guy apparently did at his home, and he would have, you know, the assistants or the people that are working on the show coming over there on a, on a regular basis. So it wasn't all just in the workplace. So a lot of this would have been opportunities where he was one-on-one with some of these women. Now, this is not all the women that, that worked for him. Matter of fact, as the Washington Post points out, there are lots and lots of women who apparently worked with him that he did not act inappropriately towards. But there certainly seems like there's a lot that he did act inappropriately toward. And now the Washington Post runs this story, and within essentially 24 hours of the story running, um, Rose is out. For his part, here's the statement that he issued. I went to the Washington Post, and I want to read it in full. In my 45 years in journalism, I prided myself on being an advocate for the careers of the women with whom I have worked. Hmm. Nevertheless, in the past few days, claims have been made about my behavior towards some female, former female colleagues. It is essential that these women know I hear them and that I deeply apologize for my inappropriate behavior. I am greatly embarrassed. I have behaved insensitively at times, and I accept responsibility for that, though I do not believe that all these allegations are accurate. I always felt I was pursuing shared feelings. I always felt I was pursuing shared feelings even though I now realize I was mistaken. Okay, now he's 75, so let's back up. Let's say he's 65 years old. You've got some 27-year-old gal who's trying to get a job, and he's coming out of the shower naked and dropping the towel or whatever. And he says, I thought I was pursuing shared feelings. He now realizes he was mistaken. My producer, Gru, is just shaking his head at that. I am as well. I have learned a great deal as a result of these events, and I hope others will too. All of us, including me, are coming to a newer, deeper recognition of the pain caused by conduct in the past and have come to a, prof- I, and have come to a profound new respect for women and their lives. He now has a profound new respect for women and their lives. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. CBS fired him today. My guess is um, that the show will never, a new episode of the show will never air on PBS again. Is Charlie Rose being treated unfairly? He says he's got a profound new respect for women. Um, these allegations, the I mean, they they the most recent one is 2011, I guess. Is he treated being treated unfairly 
in this particular situation. He says, well, yeah, I, I regret some of this stuff. He denies, I guess, some of the things or doesn't remember these occurrences. He said, I, I think, gee, this was um, some shared stuff that was going on here. I, I, To the extent I behaved in this particular fashion, you know, I, I thought these women were potentially interested. He's been a bachelor since the 80s and apparently um, is well-known in the circles that he hangs out with, the New York-Washington crowd as being what we would describe as a ladies' man, I guess. Um, but, but does that change anything? Is he being treated unfairly, or is he getting exactly what he deserves? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's twelve twenty-seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, uh, PBS firing Charlie Rose as well. The Packers look to pick up the pieces after a Ravens shootout. Shut up. That is shut out. Next up for Green Bay is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coach Mike McCarthy joins Gene Miller with a preview. That's at 625 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Um, Gru, who's producing the show today, today and always. I was checking uh, the, the line because I, I, there is this place called Las Vegas. And if people go to Las Vegas, they can bet on the outcomes of sporting events and what the odds makers in Las Vegas do. And I understand that people aren't necessarily familiar. I'm kidding, of course. Um, but, but you know, you, you set the line. Uh, the Packers are two touchdown underdogs. They are 14-point underdogs. The only team this week that's a bigger underdog is, I think, Miami that's playing uh, New England. I mean, I don't – I this might be the first time the Packers have been two touchdown underdogs – um, since uh, since Brett Favre started, I mean, I, I don't. It's just amazing that the the team could fall apart like that. Now, of course, just because the odds makers don't think that you can win the game doesn't mean that you can't win the game. But a fourteen point underdog that tells you what the odds makers think of the Packers this year without uh, without Aaron Rodgers, and um, that should be a wake up call perhaps to some people in Green Bay about the overall state of the team. Hey, one final thought before we, we leave the Charlie Rose thing. And again, I have no sympathy for Charlie Rose. I mean, it it sounds like he was clearly a guy that used his position as his just like a Harvey Weinstein he used his position in an effort to try to you know um to get sexual favors now you know this Washington Post story you know talks about you know the women who are complaining about it i mean that my guess is there's a lot of women who who acquiesced that would be my my guess as well um but you know you you do get this this pattern but you know you see this pattern again glenn thrush he you might not you might not know his name but he's a very very prominent um he's the white house reporter for the new york times um, he's been suspended, accused of inappropriate sexual behavior, again, for conduct that goes on years and years and years. Kevin Spacey, of course, we've talked about you know that before, and Harvey Weinstein and Mark Halperin and the guy at NPR. But I, the, the thing that is frustrating to me about all of this is – the individual harassers are being singled out for consequences, and that that's fine. I'm not defending any of the, these guys, but everybody knew about Harvey Weinstein and looked the other way. Everybody knew about Kevin Spacey. My God, Kevin Spacey, uh, apparently his predilections and his preying on young, in this case, male actors, I mean, it, it goes back decades, and it was it was not a secret. People knew about this. 
and people knew about this behavior. And my guess is the employers knew about the behavior and nobody cared that the employers looked the other way. And so, I mean, what I guess I would say is, yes, is it is it appropriate to get rid of, you know, Charlie Rose? Sure. But what about the people at PBS? What about the people at CBS? What about the people at NPR? You know, what about all the, the folks in Hollywood that look the other way for Harvey Weinstein? What about all the movie producers and the movie directors and the people in the entertainment industry and the theater industry that knew what type of person Kevin Spacey was and still consider continued hiring him despite knowing all these type of things? I mean, that's I guess that's where it is somewhat frustrating to me that, you know, we, we focus on, uh, again, we focus on the direct perpetrator, and that's all fair and it's well and good. But then we say, oh, well, gee, CBS is now saying, hey, he's not going to be on 60 Minutes anymore. Okay, well, right, why did you have him on 60 Minutes for the last 10 or 15 years? Because by doing that, you gave him that power position that enabled him to do this. Just saying. All right, big story number two. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Um, Ed Flynn, for reasons that pass understanding, the Milwaukee police chief, decided that he was going to give really unprecedented access to a BBC British Broadcasting Corporation film crew to come in and do a documentary about crime in Milwaukee. Now, the guy that was doing the documentary, the filmmaker, very, very well-known filmmaker, he's done a, a lot of these before, but this is, of course, the BBC, and they're taking a view of crime in an American city, and, of course, you know, there's a different view of guns in Europe than there is in the United States. So they come in, they, they do the documentary. I've now seen about a third of it just in clips. It is incredibly unflattering. Um, it portrays, at least the portions I have seen, it portrays the crime problem in Milwaukee as as out of control. It talks about, I mean, it, it focuses, it's got some woman in there who, who's got to take a sawed-off shotgun into a bathtub when she takes a bath because she's afraid that people are going to break in. It, it goes out and it interviews the the brother of one of the guys who was shot by the police, Lavelle Smith, and who's who's not obviously happy at all. And he's he's talking about his name is Sedan. He's talking about you know how he has to carry guns and his buddy carries guns and how you know the police are out to get him and it's it's not a black and white thing. It's a it's a blue black and blue thing. The police are out to get African Americans. It, it's a very very negative sort of of portrayal, and the chief. You know, he says, well, I was I was lied to. You know, I I was told that, you know, we you know they present things that had like a positive impact on the community and that, you know, people who say that we're doing great things would be included. And, of course, you know, the doctor documentary filmmakers didn't. And I guess I, I look at this and have two perspectives. First of all, if if Chief Flynn okay, trusted these documentary filmmakers, oh, this is going to be a balanced portrayal of, you know, crime in the city of Milwaukee. If he really believed that, I mean, could he hopelessly be that, really be that naive? I mean, I was looking at some of the other stuff that the guy did, and he, the, the filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, and he does this expose, this kind of gotcha sort of stuff. To think that this was going to be a balanced portrayal of crime in the city, I, I think would be naive. But, but the larger point is this this idea that 
we're doing a good job when it comes to crime in, in the city. Now, I understand sometimes these documentaries can be done to create a, a false impression, for example. I think the Netflix documentary, Making a Murderer, is a classic example, again, of that kind of gotcha sort of journalism. It's not a documentary. It, it's, a, it's a film. It takes a point of view and it shapes the evidence and only presents the evidence it wants to try to convey a particular point of view, namely Stephen Avery not being guilty. Those of us who follow the trial, who know some of the participants, who watch the evidence come in on a daily basis, understand that that's that's really not the, the case. And if you watch the evidence and you watch the trial, yeah, there's no question you know, Stephen Avery is guilty as you know what. But if you only watch this documentary that only presents a portion of it, I understand why people could come to a different conclusion. I, I get that. But in this particular case, given that you have a city that is being torn apart by high homicide rates, by an escalating rate of crimes, whether it's car thefts or whether it's carjackings and shootings and gun crime. This idea that, gee, the BBC is going to come in and they're going to do a documentary that's somehow going to portray the city of Milwaukee in a flattering light is just absolutely absurd. And I guess I, I think Ed Flynn should have known better. But having said all that, I don't know. Is it fair to fault the documentary people? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think around here, for too long, we have been in a state of denial about how bad the crime rate really is. I mean, we, we've tried to say, okay, well, we'll look at the numbers. You know, we're down a couple homicides or we're up a couple homicides or, or whatever. But by doing that, we're not seeing the forest for the trees. And the forest is that there are areas of this city where crime is completely out of control and crime continues to spread now beyond the boundaries of the city into the suburbs as more and more of the people who are used to committing crimes in Milwaukee decide to spread out and move to the suburbs looking for easier targets of opportunity. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When it comes to crime, uh, again, whether it's Tom Barrett or Ed Flynn or some community leaders, but not all, I think we've been in a state of denial. And I, it's tough for me to get worked up about the, this BBC film documentary because I think, again, it's got a little bit of perspective on, on whether – on police community relations. But from the perspective of you know people feeling unsafe, people carrying guns, and crime being out of control – I don't think you can even deny that when it comes to the city of Milwaukee. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have we been in denial too long about the crime problem around here? And my answer is yes. What's your answer? We talk about this in just a couple moments. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Paul in Lake Geneva. Paul, good afternoon. Well, hello. Well, I think naivete is uh, is quite an understatement. I mean, uh, this is a news organization, the same as yours, and they aren't looking for good stories. They're looking for, they want to come in here and show how bad this is, the same as any news organization would. And the fact that your chief or his advisors didn't understand this is shame on you, you know, once. <laughs> 
Well, anyway, well, right, yeah, the BBC uh, isn't going to come to Milwaukee to do a piece on, especially with the crime rate as it is, they're not going to come to Milwaukee to do a piece on how, how great, how, how we're like leading the country in, in solving crimes and, and reducing problems. So, no, we, we've got a problem, and, and you're right. I mean, how, how could they not have seen something like this coming when they agreed to do it? I have no idea. And, no. Uh, you know, don't talk to the, uh, the BBC because they're, they're a good news organization, you know. Yeah, well, no, they're right. Gonna, I, I, they're yeah. going to take advantage of any situation like this if they can. I mean... No, I'm with you, Paul. No, thanks for the call. I'm sorry, your, your cell phone was cutting out there. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm, this this is, I mean, this was clearly one of these sort of predictable things. And the filmmaker, you look at his history, and he does exposés. He's not, and but see, that that to me, to me, full arguing about whether you should have given the BBC access or not isn't the point. The, the point is that, that you have a city, and maybe Milwaukee is not unique. Maybe you could have done this in Chicago or done this in Los Angeles. But the, the, you have a city where you, you've got crime that is out of control. That's the concern. It's not the reporting about it. Now, again, you, you can argue with, you know, is, is this is, is it fair to, you know, put, you know, some of these these people up there, um, you know, who complain about police community relations and all. Is, is that completely fair without putting the other side of the story out? Well, OK. Well, the, the reality, though, is that this is a city that has huge problems. And whether it's Tom Barrett or whether it's Ed Flynn, and by the way, I don't think it's necessarily fair to blame Ed Flynn for the crime problems. But you got to acknowledge that that crime problem is there. Same thing is true with Tom Barrett, that this idea that, oh, no, I think Milwaukee's a safe city. Well, come on. Wake up. Bob in Cedarburg. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, this is Bob. Yeah. I just want to say that I, I completely agree with the documentary. I don't have a problem with Milwaukee Police Department giving access the BBC in terms of exposing uh, the ongoing problems that we have uh, in Milwaukee regarding uh, crime. Uh, as far as it being slanted one way in terms of portraying the city in a negative light, I really don't see it that way. It's a, a pretty much uh, unedited look at what goes on in the inner city on the north side of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke with one of your producers and uh, I can honestly say from experience, if any regular citizen goes down to the inner city north side of Milwaukee, uh, you can, without even having to look for it, you can hear gunshots, you can you can see people blatantly breaking laws, uh, whether it's uh, the reckless driving that you've talked about right. uh, countless times, uh, the thefts that are going on, um, Gas drive-offs, that's pretty minor, but, I mean, you see the drug dealing openly occurring out in the street, and I really don't think it's uh, a biased look look at all. And I think if people in the city of Milwaukee, especially people in city city leadership, are upset right now, they're going to be even more upset when people start pulling these open records requests for body camera footage that they're making these officers wear now, and people are going to be able to see what exactly what's going on, what these officers have to deal oh, with yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Oh yeah, and, that, and they don't. And these people are pulling who decide to pull the, these open record requests. They can go ahead and they can post it on the internet, and they can they can release it to the world. And these are these are not even journalists. Yeah, no, no. I think Bob, I'd say, I'd say, I see. I'm with you. This is right in this particular situation. It's it's don't shoot the messenger. I, I mean, I. 
I, I get criticized from time to time. Oh, you're just talking about the bad stuff. Well, look, I mean, I appreciate there's good things that are going on in the community, but at the same time, when you do what I do for a living and on an almost daily basis, you've got a story about somebody who shouldn't be out on the streets who stole in a car a lot of times at gunpoint, fleeing from the police at 80 miles an hour and cracks it up, and sometimes they kill themselves, sometimes they kill other people. Um, it, when, you, when you see this on a daily basis, it, it tells you... See, I just don't want us to lose our sense of outrage. My big fear is that because crime is so re- commonplace now that people are just accepting this normal. I, I'm sorry, I, for the Whitefish Bay Police Department to say, well, you better make sure you lock your cars... And you better make sure you lock your houses because if you don't lock your cars, people are going to break into them and then they're going to use the keys. If you leave your keys in the car, they're going to find those and then they're coming to rob your house. So make sure you lock your cars. Okay, I, I get that. I think that's good advice. But I don't want it to be normal that we have to live in a community like that. I don't want us to be think it is normal that, gee, you know, you can't allow in your own driveway, you can't warm up your car when it's 10 degrees below zero. Now, I appreciate you can't do that. But the reason, but I, I just don't think we should accept that. We should accept that the crime is so out of control that on a 10 degree below zero morning, if you leave your car running for five minutes in your driveway, it's going to be gone. Well, all right. It, yes, it's good advice to say don't do it, don't leave it unattended. But we shouldn't have to tell people that. What we should be saying is we're, we're sick, we're mad as hell about these criminals that are out there, and we expect law enforcement and the judiciary and our elected officials to start doing something like this. I don't want accepting this crime to be the new normal, and that is what it is becoming. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Hope everybody's looking forward to their Thanksgiving story. Big story number three. All right. Hunters. It's the way the Washington Post reports it. Hunters are livid over President Trump's elephant trophy decision. Let me back into this story. I um, had an acquaintance of mine, many knew him through politics um, a number of years ago. He passed away a while back. Um, he was... An avid hunter and a big game hunter. This guy knew he he was wealthy. And what he would do is he would travel across the world and he would hunt big game. Um, His his home was, 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 in some respects, it was almost freaky because you'd go in room after room had had heads on it of of all these big, in some cases, exotic animals that he had had shot over, over the years. And I was very curious. I mean, and I'd ask him about the process. And, and, and generally speaking, the, the process that, that he would involve himself in is he would make arrangements to travel to Africa, for example. And, and what you would have to do is you would have to pay an enormous amount of, of money to get a permit to allow you to shoot an animal that you otherwise would not be able to shoot. And then what you'd end up doing is you tell me these stories about how you'd, you'd go out on the on these safaris and and you'd have to have all these different shots. And, you know, I, he was telling I remember he was telling me this one story about how 
you know you had you had the guides that were with you and they would they would set up the camps and you were you 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 were you would essentially sleep suspended above the ground because at this one place there were all these poisonous snakes and if you weren't if you stayed on the ground you know the poisonous snake would be in your sleeping bag at night and I'm I'm like listening to this thinking all right and you're doing this why and it, it was because he enjoyed the the thrill of the hunt now I will say this as well um, listening to some of the descriptions of of these types of hunts um, made it seem to me as being only one step more sporting than, say, going to Sendex and, and, and buying the turkey. I mean, it was sort of like the, you know, you would be led to some of these areas. It wasn't like you were necessarily out in the wild. You would be led to some of these areas, and, um, you you know, the guides would go out, and they'd bait some of these animals and all, but you would be able to acquire a trophy of a relatively rare animal, all right? So people, people do that, particularly rich people, <clears throat> they do that. And a number of these impoverished countries, they, they like the revenue that comes in. Like I say, you, you pay big money to have the privilege of doing this. All right, well, the latest controversy has involved elephants, um, African elephants, which are, in, in general, they would be considered to be uh, an endangered species. So here's what happens. In, in Zimbabwe, um, they, have, they have these elephants. And what happens is the, the government will allow you to buy a permit. Um, permits cost up to $20,000. And this is just for the permit. This isn't talking about the cost to fly into a ranger safari or whatever. The permit to shoot the elephant goes for up to $20,000. 70% of the people who buy these permits to legally harvest elephants are American apparently, um, according to this group in, in Zimbabwe. Um, and so what happens is you have a lot of wealthy, well-heeled Americans who will travel to, to harvest the, these elephants. Now, what Zimbabwe does is they say, look, um, we, we are managing our elephant population. And what we do is we use revenue from... We, we, we protect our elephants, but just, just sort of like deer hunting. You know, deer hunting, the idea is there's too many deer, and so you have to take them because otherwise deer die off. In this case, a number of these nations, places like Zimbabwe, what they will say is we, we have an elephant conservation program, and what we do is we fund the program. We will allow X number of hunting licenses, and then we will take the money that we get from people who buy these licenses, and we will put it back into this program, so we, you know, so it's sustainable. So we'll have more elephants. That that type of thing. We sacrifice some elephants, but what ends up happening is we we put this money in, and we have have more. Now, what happened is during the Obama administration, the Obama administration said, "What we're going to do is we're going to ban trophy imports from Zimbabwe." In other words, you know, you're not going to be able to legally bring back an elephant head or whatever from Zimbabwe. Now, we can't stop you from going over there and, and shooting the elephant and getting the permit, but we can stop you from legally bringing back the, the trophy. And as a result of that, what's happened is uh, apparently the the number, the amount of revenue generated through this program has dropped substantially because 
one of the reasons people go over to shoot the elephant is they, they want the trophy to be able to hang it up on their wall for whatever reason. So the hunters have been, especially some of the high-end groups like Safari Club, and I know a number of people who belong to Safari Club, they have been pushing the Trump administration to reverse this ban on trophy imports, to essentially say, I'm going to allow you to keep bringing the, the, the trophies in. And President Trump um, uh, upset people a couple days ago by saying that he is delaying a decision on allowing these elephant hunting trophies from Zimbabwe. Um, he actually went as far as to tweet that he thinks elephant hunting is a horror show and has implied at least that he would maintain the ban. Now, that has, again, a lot of the hunting enthusiasts absolutely livid, saying, ah, this is the president. He's giving in to the, you know, the animal rights lobby. Um, what we're doing is a positive sort of thing. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should President Trump continue the ban on allowing, again, the, these trophies to be brought into the United States? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I said a minute ago that I thought when I was launching this topic, I would probably manage to irritate people on both sides of the issue. Here I go. First of all, I do not understand spending all this money to travel halfway around the world to shoot a, an animal like an elephant. I, I just I, I don't understand it. Again, I know people who've talked about this, and I, I'm not sure how sporting this really is because I've had this described to me. And again, it, it sounds, in many respects, you know, it, it's it's not like you're stalking some mountain lions and lion in the wilds of, you know, Montana or something like that, or an elk or something like that. You're this uh, again. It, it strikes me that a lot of times when you go over there, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're you're going to get the trophy. So I don't understand this. I, I don't. It is not something I would have any interest in doing myself, and I can't imagine myself shooting an elephant under these circumstances. I can't. So having said that, though, um, these, I think, individual countries, in this case, Zimbabwe, should have the right, should have the right, to set up what the rules are going to be for how they manage wildlife in their particular country. And if Zimbabwe decides that this is what we're going to do, I think they should have the right to do it. So I, I don't know why the United States you know, has this interest in then saying, okay, well, we're not going to allow you to bring the trophies in, because the truth of the matter is, as long as the government's going to allow this hunting to occur, the hunting is going to occur. And the bigger risk to these animals, it seems to me, is, again, the ivory poachers and the people who are doing it illegally. 414-799-1620, and saying that, I've probably irritated everybody on both sides of this issue, but that's how I feel. I wouldn't do it myself. I don't understand why, in fact, people would do this. But if the country wants to allow you to do it, I don't know why the U.S. says we're not going to allow you to bring the trophy back. 414-799-1620. All right, where do you stand on this? We discuss next. It's 117. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is going to be a spirited discussion. Paul in Heartland. Paul, you're first. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Sure. Um, I'd like to just preface our conversation by saying that I am not a hunter in any aspect, but I have been trading elephant hides for the past 20 years, 
and I was instrumental in getting the elephant downlisted so that trade could mm-hmm. be initiated back in 1997 in the Convention on International Trade and Endangered Species. Um, one thing that people need to realize is that elephants, number one, are not in danger, okay? They are listed as threatened because their numbers have been declining due to poaching and some other factors, but by and large, elephants, there's a population currently in Africa, the last study that was done, somewhere between 350 and 400,000 elephants. The majority of those elephants remain in basically five locations. Botswana has 130,000, Zimbabwe has 82,000, Tanzania 43,000, Zambia 22,000, and Kenya 26,000. Of those countries, they do have legal game hunting there. Those populations have actually gone up or remained stable since 1997, okay? And that is because they do have legal game hunting. The second point I'd like to let make is Let me stop you. My, my understanding, let me just stop you for a second, Paul. My understanding is some of the places, like Botswana, though, d- does, not al- does not allow any trophy hunting of elephants at all. Am I wrong on that? No. They, there is limited hunting in Botswana. There is a limited number of animals that are taken out every year, and they are taken out for one of three reasons. Either they are on private lands where you, they can be hunted, they are what are considered rogue elephants, which mm-hmm. are outside of areas that they need to be either removed or you know, physically sometimes they load them in trucks and move them, or they are in rural council areas where indigenous people are allowed to take elephants right. off their land because they're, they're raising crops. Sort of like Native oh, Americans yeah. are allowed to, to, to do the spearfishing. Exactly. Right, got it. Okay. Exactly. However, these elephants that they do take out on a normal basis, if you wanted to go hunt a large trophy, they take out the oldest, largest animals. And let me tell you why they do that. For two reasons. Number one, the hunter likes the biggest trophy possible. But the second reason is because larger bull elephants do not allow the younger bulls to breed with most of the herd. They are very dominant males, and therefore, by taking the older males out, you will actually increase the herds more readily and rapidly. So what you're saying is these programs are part of population control and good game management, just like, you know, we allow X number of deer to be shot in particular areas. Absolutely, And and the revenue that's been gained from that, we have programs in place that make sure that those funds are earmarked for water silos that we build for times of drought when all animals will uh, will die if they don't get water. Elephants will protect the watering hole from all other animals, from lions, from everything else. Number two is we have refugee uh, camps for black panthers and things like that um, that are abandoned as young uh, animals. Um, we also have 24-hour surveillance for poaching of the black and white rhinos, which are truly threatened. All that revenue is coming from the game hunting industry. And if you didn't have it, you would really have serious problems with some of the true endangered animals like the rhinos. Right. So, Paul, thanks for calling. I, pre- I guess, and see, and that's why, I mean, that, that's why I said what I, I did. I, I would never do this myself, but I, I, I think if a country is going to set up one of these programs to manage, again, to manage the elephant population, I, I think the country has the right to do that. And, and I don't know what the United States gains by saying, okay, if it's legal, if it's legal to go over there and shoot it, um, we're not going to let you bring the trophy back. I, I think to me that would be, again, I, I think that's an overreach. Now, part of the concern is that some of these countries, that there's all sorts of corruption that's involved in this and that the money that's supposed to go to, uh, again, you know, 
doing the animal management, the wildlife management doesn't get where it's supposed to go. I don't know enough about that one way or the other. But I guess if it's legal, that's where I come down with. If it's legal in the country, even though I certainly wouldn't do it, I, I wouldn't say no. Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Renee. Um, okay. I, what I was going to say is that I agree with the ban because I just think it's um, really cruel to hunt something for a trophy. That being said, now after listening to this gentleman, I understand if it's for population control, but here's the thing. How are they sure that they are getting the oldest and not shooting, uh, you know, uh, a bull or female or whatever that isn't the oldest? And how do they determine that? And what about game hunters like that Potts that went and shot that lion? And, you know, it just, it's, there's a real thin line there. Right. And I think what happens, Renee, and again, this is, not only is this something that I've never done, it's not something that I would ever do. I I think, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, when when you talk about some of this hunting, I'd say it, it really is close to going to the grocery store and one step away from, like, like picking out meat, because my understanding is that there are only certain areas where they allow you to hunt, and so what they do is there will be areas where you're not allowed to hunt in, where they, they keep most of the elephant population, for example, and they'll bring, they'll, they'll cull the herd, and they'll bring some out, and they'll put them in these areas that are open to hunters, and then I think there's all these stories that I've heard about how you you know, kind of bait the elephants and things like that. So I'm I'm not really how sure how sporting this is, and I understand if there's people have been on elephant hunts and they want to get upset with me because I've been there, Jeff, you don't understand how they do it. Okay, that might be fair, but I think that's the idea. And you're right, Renee, occasionally you have these stories about the, the, the elephant or the tiger or whatever that wasn't supposed to be shot, that somehow migrates from where it's supposed to be and gets into this area where they allow the hunting. I, I guess, again, I just come back with this basic premise of being that while I don't understand why somebody wants this up on, on their wall, I, I just don't get that. If the country is going to allow it, and the truth is, I think if you want to look at, for example, the elephant population, that the bigger challenges don't come from a relative handful of rich people in the United States. They're going to come and pay the permits and support the tourism industry and go on the safaris. It's more like the, the poachers who are out there who you know, aren't playing by the rules and are out there trying to kill these wonderful animals for either their hides or more often for ivory or things like that. I, I think... Ultimately, the president is going to reduce and eliminate this ban, allow the importation. And again, while I wouldn't do it, I think it's probably the right policy decision to make. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just in time for the holidays, WTMJ.com is giving you a chance to win an authentic NFL game ball autographed by Packers head coach Mike McCarthy. Just log on to the WTMJ.com contest page, listen for the special keyword in the podcast player, fill out the entry form, and you could be our lucky winner. You can enter daily, but you've got to be 18 to take part. Official rules up at WTMJ.com. Then just a couple quick reminders. Don't get lost in the holiday spirit. Next Monday... 
um, is our annual Christmas play performance at Turner Hall. We had the table reading yesterday. It's original one this year, WTMJ Saves Christmas. It is completely and totally sold out. If you have purchased tickets, a portion of which goes to um, help our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, Thank you very much. Be sure to show up. Also, we are going to be replaying. If you don't have tickets and can't get in, we're going to be replaying that on various occasions throughout December. Um, It's always a lot of fun. As I was mentioning, a week from tomorrow, if you're up in the Washington County area, I'm going to be participating in something called the Taste of Washington County, which is where all these restaurants come together to raise money for the boys and girls clubs. I'm going to be a server, so I'll be giving you food. Um, So you can check that out if you happen to be in the area. You need tickets in advance for that as well. But again, Proceeds go to the Boys and Girls Club. And then a week from Friday is our first Kids to Kid Kiss Christmas remote. We are going to be broadcasting from noon until 6 um, from our big talking box. We will be back at VMP Manor Park in West Dallas. They always set up a winter wonderland. It is tremendous, and we encourage you, if you're in the area, to drop stop by and Have some of the hot chocolates, have some of the hot dogs, see the winter wonderland they've set up. But most importantly, drop off some new toys. And then, as we've talked about with Kids to Kids Christmas, we make sure that with our friends at the Salvation Army that they get distributed to less fortunate children so their holiday season can be bright. It is a wonderful, wonderful um, program. And again, um, this is the 12th year of Kids to Kids Christmas, and we are very pleased to be part of it. All right. The president says it is time to go. Here, here is the story. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Um, and, and Haiti has been a mess for a, a long time. What happened is, back in 2010, you, you might remember that there was a major, a major earthquake in, in Haiti. Um, more than 200,000 people um, lost their lives. Hundreds of thousands of people were displaced. It was a magnitude 7 earthquake. And again, you're, you're talking about the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. You have the, this monster earthquake that comes in. It was devastating. Back in 1990, the first President Bush signed into law something called the the Temporary Protected Status Program. And and what this does is it allows the United States, in the wake of a natural disaster or um, war, like a civil war in a country, it, it, it allows our country to grant what is called temporary protected status to people from this other country so they can come into the United States and they can live for a limited period of time. It's not you know, a permanent sort of refugee program or anything like that, but it says, all right, if, if there's a civil war, for example, and it's – you know, it's too dangerous to live in the country you live in. You can come into the United States and stay for a while. If because of an earthquake, in the case of Haiti, it, it's just um, you, you've been displaced, um, there's not economic opportunities or whatever, you can come in and you can stay temporarily. It's not a permanent type of program. Um, right now, there are about about 59,000 Haitians who live in and work in the United States under this this program as a result of the earthquake back in 2010. And again, it's it's not a permanent program. Um, the Obama administration 
um, recertified this on, on multiple occasions. What they said was, all right, what we're going to do is the earthquake was in 2010, but you don't have to go back. You don't have to go back. You don't have to go back. The Trump administration yesterday um, has issued this ruling saying, okay, we're we're now we're going to end this. Um, they said the the conditions in Haiti um, have have improved. Now again, it's the poorest nation in the in the Western Hemisphere, but that in and of itself isn't a basis for allowing people to come in on this program. The basis for allowing people to come in under the program is because of the earthquake, you were displaced. Now, what the Trump administration is saying is that the things are being more normalized. So um, these 59,000 people who are in this country, what's going to happen is um, you, you have to leave. They are giving them until July of 2019 to leave. So they're not saying, hey, you have to be out of this country you know, next month or two months from now. So you have you know, a little less than two years to make arrangements to go back. Now, for many people who live still in Haiti, one of their big sources of income is family who have come to the United States under this temporary program who are working and who are sending money back. So um, it, it's not just for the people who are living here, but it's people who are back in Haiti because you, you can do better here in the United States than you can do in Haiti. Anyhow, the Trump administration is saying, look, we, we believe that this is a, a temporary a temporary program. And, you know, we've looked at the conditions upon which the country's original designation was based and whether those extraordinary but temporary conditions prevented Haiti from adequately handling the return of their nationals. They said, based on all the available information, um, you know, we, we think that those extraordinary but temporary conditions caused by the earthquake no longer exist. Now, as you might expect, the 59,000 people from Haiti who are here, they don't want to go back because life is a lot better here than it is in Haiti. But that was never the basis upon which they came into this country in the first place. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand why people who came in here into this country in 2010, you know, trying to get away from the damage that major earthquake did to the country, I would understand certainly why they want to stay here as opposed to going back. But, 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 this was never a permanent program. And at some point in time, it seems to me that things have to come to an end. I appreciate that life in the United States, um, even for these Haitian refugees, and I'm sure it's, it's not all a bed of roses, but life in the United States is better than life in, in Haiti. I get that. But that's not the standard. The standard is you were here temporarily. Um, now things have stabilized time to go back and, and make your way right are we ugly americans for saying that is the trump administration wrong for saying it's a temporary program you will by the time this is over have been here almost 10 years nine years um and it's time to go back 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line i, I think again countries have to control their borders and you've got 59,000 people who came in, were relocated here temporarily because of damage caused by an earthquake. It is now going on 10 years later. I don't think it's unreasonable to say, 
all right, that the purpose of this program has been served, and yes, we understand why you would like to stay, but you, you've got to go back to your country. Is it unreasonable to give people, you know, two years essentially to make plans to go back to where they came from? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be no. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 147. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Okay, Lisa Lynn Lake sends a text saying, if somebody comes in here on temporary protected status, um, and, and that's that's a system, it is a program which specifically allows people to enter this country legally if they are coming from a country like Haiti where there's been a natural disaster or a country where there's a civil war and it's not safe for people. Um, if you come in, um, and, and if you come in under temporary protected status, you can get a work permit, you can do things like that, and, and you can stay. Um, she asks, can you apply for citizenship when you're here? A- and the answer is um, yes and no. Um, because um, if you come on, they call it TPS, if you come in temporary protected status, the expectation is that you are going to go back to your home country. Um, however, you may Im- somebody who comes into this country on TPS may immigrate to the United States permanently under another prov- any other provision of immigration law if it qualifies. For example, if you come in under TPS status and you marry a U.S. citizen, um, that citizen may act as the sponsor for you to apply for and obtain um, you know status. An employer of an individual with TPS working here may act as a sponsor for employment-based immigration. So, um, you know, those all have their own sort of requirements. But the general expectation is you're here temporarily, and at some point in time, you're going to have to go back. Otherwise, and see, and I I guess I think this is a worthwhile program. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. But again, as somebody who believes that you have to control your borders, these are not designed as permanent sort of programs. And I understand that there's all sorts of people who are here in the United States who came in here who don't want to go back to Haiti because, again, you're talking about the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. They understand that their opportunities are going to be better here than they are in Haiti. But that's not what this program is about. If you apply that standard, are your opportunities better in the United States than they are in whatever country you're coming from? Well, okay, you'd have people from all over the world who would be pouring in here and expecting to be able to stay forever. This is a temporary program. And as a temporary program, I I think it has to end at some point in time. I also understand why you've got people in Haiti who don't want to see it end because they're depending on money that's being made by people who are doing whatever they're doing in New York City or South Florida or whatever and sending it back to Haiti. So, I, I mean, I understand that that to an extent might create a hardship. But these programs have huge costs when you bring people in. And at some point in time, I think we have to control our borders. Coming up next, she says she's a victim. I'm not buying a word of it. Stick around. I'll tell you the saga of Kathy Griffin. It's 150. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of stuff on today's program coming up in just a couple minutes. Well, stick around. We've got a lot of great stuff to discuss, including 
It might be the worst job in the state of Wisconsin, but it's also one of the most important jobs. How can we get people to do the job? We're going to discuss that in just a couple minutes. But first, Kathy Griffin. Rue, you remember Kathy Griffin, the D-list comedian who created a stir a few months ago by posing in this this photo shoot, and she took a, a severed head that was a replica severed head appearing to be the president of the United States. That would be President Trump. And, and she posed, you know, holding this this bloody severed head. And th- this wasn't a spontaneous thing. It was a planned photo shoot. And once th- this came out, um, even in an environment where you have all these people who aren't, aren't don't like President Trump, I think pretty much everybody both on the left and the right, agreed that this this went too far. And it was incredibly in incredibly bad taste. For her part, Kathy Griffin initially came out and vigorously defended this and went after the people who thought it was bad. And then once there was this huge backlash, then she started backing off and saying she's sorry, etc. Then when the apology didn't work, then she lashed out again at all these people who are I don't know, just have no sense of humor and don't appreciate political commentary or whatever. You know, meanwhile, there have been, you know, consequences. I mean, she did the, she had the, um, the, the, the gig co-hosting like New Year's Eve. She, she lost that. And, um, since this happened, um, with all the negative press coverage that she's gotten, she essentially has had, she, she's become too much of a hot potato. And what's what's happened is she's lost all sorts of bookings. Um, you have a number of, you know, venues where people might have hired her, I guess, to perform, and and they've pulled back on that. They've said, okay, well, you know, she's just too controversial, or you know, we think this was in bad taste, or more likely, we don't think we're going to be able to sell enough tickets. See, that's the bottom line. If if these, if for example, you know, comedy clubs and and the and venues, if they if they thought they could sell a couple thousand tickets for people to some, come see Kathy Griffin, I don't think the controversy would have deterred them. But because she's done what she's done, I think a lot of people just decide, "Hey, we're, we're not going to be able to we're not going to be able to make money, so we're not hiring her." So anyhow, she's in Europe now, and she's doing a handful of shows there. The other day, she comes out with this YouTube video, and I watched it, so you don't have to, where she starts whining about how she hasn't been able to to find work. And she says, I, I've been blacklisted by Hollywood because of this. And you know what? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm angry about this. And she keeps using the word blacklisted and how terrible, you know, this is that she can't get, you know, TV bookings and she can't get big concert bookings. And she doesn't want to go back to working the small clubs like she did because she paid her dues. Here's what she says. I'm fully in the middle of a blacklist, a Hollywood blacklist. It's real. I'm not booked on any talk shows. I'm selling tickets worldwide. Um, this is again in some of these foreign countries, which is really hard when you don't have any kind of television platform and nobody has your back. She says, you know, I I just want you guys to know that when I get home, I don't even have one single day of paid work in front of me. My legal bills are through the roof. I still say the end goal is for younger women and younger LGBT folks or disenfranchised people of any kind. Watch me survive and with a sense of humor. But she's out there whining and it's sort of this um, kind of this over the top type of stuff. And I guess my reaction to all this is she's not being blacklisted. 
in the sense that back in the 1950s, you had people, because they came out and they identified themselves or other people identified them as communists or they refused to testify in front of a House committee, that there was an agreement that they would not be hired. That's not what's going on with Kathy Griffin. What's going on with Kathy Griffin is because of the decision she's made, she has made herself extremely controversial. And I say controversial in a negative way. So if I mean, here's the bottom line. If some network, if Showtime or HBO or some obscure network beyond those thought that they could make money by hiring her to do a comedy special or whatever, they would do it. There's no question in my mind that that they would do it. They've just decided that, you know, she's not going to be worth the trouble and all the controversy isn't going to be worth the few number of viewers that they are going to get. And it's not going to be worth getting all the anger. What was it, CNN that decided to drop her from the the New Year's Eve coverage? It was just she made herself more controversial than she was worth. She has a right to do these type of things. She has a right to make her statements. But there are consequences for people's actions. And that is what she is finding out now. You want to pose with a severed head of a replica severed head of the President of the United States? You have every right to do that. That's fine. But recognize that that might make you toxic when it comes to trying to sell yourself to a mainstream audience. So to the extent that she's unhappy, that she's having trouble finding employment, sorry, sorry, but you know what? That was a decision that you ended up making. It's not a blacklist. It's not this agreement not to hire you. It's the fact that you're just probably not worth the trouble. Just saying. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. Be sure to stick around. And then in about a half hour, I do this once or twice a year. Stick around for that. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 207. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. So, Gru, who's producing the program today, and always, let me tell you a little story about my, my past. There was a point in time, it was before, I, I, certainly before I started doing this full time, but at, at one point in time, I remember, this was during the, the years where Tommy Thompson w- was the governor, and somewhere along the line, and I never talked to the governor about this, but there was really very preliminary things. Somebody reached out to me at some point in time, I don't even remember who it was, and, and said, you know, there... There, there might be openings in the Department of Corrections for the state, you know, and, and would you have, you know, any interest in pursuing any of those? And, and ultimately, it might lead to, you know, you could become the head of the Department of Corrections, cabinet level spot. But it, it was never an offer. It was just, it was kind of like one of these sort of conversations. And, and I thought about it for all of about five seconds. And I, I can't imagine a, a worse job. Than working in the prison system, and it does, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. Let's say you run the Department of Corrections. That 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 might sound like it's a great job. It's a crummy job because here's the reality of it: if you're running the prisons, first of all, you nobody ever calls you up and says you're doing a great job. What what they do, the phone rings and it's oh, there's been a there's a prison riot, or you know guards have been attacked, or you know the inmates are in a hunger strike. It's it's never one of these jobs where people look and say, hey Jeff, you're doing a great job running those. And so it was just always a disaster. And it wasn't anything that I had any appeal for, and so it was just a, one conversation that never went anywhere. But I, I have always during since then, I have always appreciated what a thankless job it, it is to work in 
in prisons. I mean, just 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 imagine. I mean, your your job is you're you're supposed to man in Wisconsin. Here's the reality: you got to work to get yourself sent to prison. I mean, the only people that go to prison are people that have either had chance have committed crime after crime after crime and have given, been given chance after chance after chance and continue to commit crimes, or there are people who have committed a crime that is just so horrible that they have to go right to prison. And oftentimes, what it is is people that have committed progressively more awful crimes, and finally, then they've committed something really bad. So, you know, they're locked up, but you're kind of locked up in there with you. I, I have been following with interest this whole story about what goes on at, at Lincoln Hills, which is the school for the... The, the junior criminals, you know, we, we call it, you know, it's the, for the kids that are the juvenile delinquents, but they're not juvenile delinquents. In many cases, they're hardcore criminals. And as I have said repeatedly, you know, you, you gotta work. I mean, the, the people, the 150 people, however many there are, the inmates at Lincoln Hills, these are, these aren't kids that are caught and sent there for throwing toilet paper, you know, over the principal's house. These are, in many cases, dangerous, violent, People who are, if not career criminals, they're already on their way to being career criminals. And then you have some loony federal judge out of Madison who sided with the ACLU and said, well, you know, I, I want to, I just, we shouldn't use handcuffs and we shouldn't use solitary confinement. And you're using pepper spray. Oh, how terrible this is. And this is a judge who's never spent a day walking in the shoes of a correctional official and, uh, again, doesn't, I think, recognize on a daily basis the type of people that they are dealing with. And, you know, there's been one story after another. You have the, you know, women, um, I was looking at the story in the Journal Sentinel yesterday, women guards, you know, at, at Lincoln Hills. I mean, they're talking about how they're routinely taunted by the inmates with sexual comments that the thing is for these juvenile delinquents, and I say that in quotation marks, the big thing is for them to expose themselves and do other things, you know, with their private parts in front of these guards. There's been one attack after another. You hear these stories, and it's just you've got these chronic hardcore offenders who are attacking the teachers who are there trying to teach these punks and thugs how to read, and they get punched out. You have these inmates who are just not responsive at all, and then you have your job being made a lot tougher because you've got some lefty federal judge out in Madison who has no clue what really goes on in prisons with little or no experience in criminal law saying, well, I just, I micromanage these things. Oh, you're using handcuffs too much, or, or gee, you use pepper spray on these two guys that were getting ready to beat the you-know-what out of each other. Well, that's, I just don't think that you should be doing that. But, but part of the problem is now that because the conditions are so difficult you know they have there is a huge shortage of prison guards i mean last time i checked i think in the wisconsin prison system they they were down a couple hundred maybe as many as 400 depending on how this is and of course part of the problem then is that since you don't have enough but you have to have guards there all the time that's led to you know spiraling overtime costs and things like that because the guards you have you know, you, you have to have them pull in double shifts and things like that. And again, there's been some irregularities, I think, over the years with how they did it. But the underlying problem is, you know, we don't have uh, enough guards. The compensation level in the Wisconsin prison system, it starts, prison guards start making around thirty-five grand a year. And this is including overtime. And it kind of maxes out around fifty-five grand a year. And, and they can't get people to do the jobs. A lot of county jails, for example, 
pay more for starting guards than the Department of Correction pays. And, you know, the result of, of this is that you, know, you, you have people that just don't want to do the work. Okay, our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I want you to mark the tape on this group because I don't always say this. But this is a situation where I, I think, again, I'm, I'm a lock em up guy. I'm the guy that is sitting here saying, I think you need to build more prisons because we've got more of these hardcore repeat criminals and putting them, continuing to put them back out on the streets isn't doing anybody any good. But the flip side to that is that you have to have, first of all, a commitment to the money you're going to spend to build the facilities. But secondly, you've got to, you've got to figure out how you're going to get people to pay to work at these jobs. And these entry-level salaries in particular, and upper-level salaries as well, it's not enough to get decent people, good workers, or workers in general, who are willing to do these jobs. And, and this is, I think, one area in state government, and I think maybe you can make the argument also on like local levels, but particularly in state government, if we want to be safe, you know, what we have to do is we have to make a commitment, and I think we need to look at how much we are paying these people who are working in the prison system now and how much we're going to have to pay to get people to work in the system in the future. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and I understand that there's a lot of people who are angry about Act 10, a lot of the public service workers. But this is an area where, you know, we're now starting to put money back into, for example, K-12. And people don't want to think about the prison system and all. But the truth is, we, we if there were... if. I don't know. If I had somebody coming to me saying, hey, you know, I, I've got a college degree in corrections and, you know, I'm looking for a job and I, I've got an offer to go, you know, work in the prison system. I mean, really? I mean, I'd say, well, OK, my advice is go look at it, you know, go just work at that job for a day. And I think, you know, you can make a strong argument that these employees grossly underpaid. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And we are finding money post-Act 10 to put into different areas. I think I think the prison system is one that we need to do the same. Let's start with John in Waukesha. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Well, a couple different things. Uh, you know, you did kind of hit on pay. Um, I know a lot of your listeners don't want to hear this, but Act 10... Uh, was a huge blow to the Department of Corrections for a couple different reasons. Uh, number one was the pay. Um, if anything, uh, we haven't even come close to recovering mm-hmm. uh, the money that we were making back in 2010. And believe me, it wasn't good. Um, we gave up a lot of raises prior to that uh, so that we would have good benefits. And obviously, you know that um, we do pay more for our benefits, which we're grateful for. But However, the pay, mm-hmm. um, like I said, it just hasn't been there. Um, I, I assume, for, John, you, you you work for the Department of Corrections. Uh, yes, I've okay. been there for about twenty years. Okay, what do you think needs to? And, and I mean, my understanding is that there you're down three four hundred positions. That was the last time I checked that these guards. Oh, positions. it's way more than that. Okay, <laughs> all right, right, fair enough. Okay, well, what what needs to be done? It, it, you're, you're talking to a guy who you know believes that you know we we need to start putting these hardcore criminals away. You've got a really tough job dealing with the people who are in behind bars. What do we need to do to get more people to be willing to do your job? 
Well, a couple of things. Um, well, number one, pay. Uh, obviously, uh, that's that's going to be a long-term thing because um, our pay is not going to be anywhere near where it might need to be uh, to recruit people. Um, and just just so so the listeners are clear on this, and uh, just kind of food for thought. Uh, I have a friend that's a police officer. We started at the same time. We promoted a sergeant at the same time, and he currently makes forty-seven thousand dollars more than I do a year. Forty-seven thousand dollars more, not forty-seven thousand. Forty-seven thousand dollars more. Okay, more. got it. Yeah. Now, now he should make more money than me. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, however, forty-seven thousand dollars more is quite uh, a large sum of money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's not, you know, um, you know, in newspapers when they report on Department of Corrections salaries. You know, they might pull somebody's salary that has worked uh, 1,600 hours of overtime in right. a year. Um, uh, but one of the biggest things that's going on now, like I said, with Act 10, they got rid of the unions. And one of the things unions did was it, it, there was checks and balances with everything. Well, a few years ago, um, the Department of Corrections, they changed how they handle disciplinary problem inmates. Um, and this was based, it was a knee-jerk reaction based off of something um that happened at the federal level about five or six years ago. And now um, when inmates uh, have major infractions or not even major infractions, there's just no penalty for mm-hmm. them. So now they're creating unsafe uh, atmospheres at the prison. So well, you're, and I'll, I'll, Let me stop you there, John. You're sure seeing that with these stories in Lincoln Hills where you right. have – you know, I, I'm you. Where you have like the female guards or the teachers, and these guys, these kids are exposing themselves. And you had the the, the teacher that's attacked, and you have one story after another. And th- there's really there's limits on real restraints on what sort of discipline you can have. And so you have all these inmates who are dangerous in the first place, or else they wouldn't be in the prisons. And the guards don't have the ability when they act up to to deal with this. I guess. Right, and you know that's what ju- you know. Juveniles are completely different. Right. Um, I don't know much about them. I don't work with juveniles. I work with the adults. But now that's um, uh, when you're taking away the power uh, that was used to basically try and rehabilitate these people and keep everybody safe in the prison. Those tools were taken away. Um, now they just they they do whatever they want. Yeah. Basically, um, there's a lot more drugs that are brought into prison. A ton more f- uh, fights. A lot of staff assault. And it's basically because we ha- our hands are tied. Yeah. We, we, we can't discipline them like we could five or six years ago. And when I say discipline, I'm just talking about separating them from population, you know, putting right. them in what uh, um, the public knows as the whole, um, which really, you know, is basically you're just segregated and you work your way and get TVs and books right. and things like that. So it's not like you're sitting in some dark dungeon for a year. So so your bottom line, John, unless there are some major changes in in compensation and recruitment and things like that, I mean, because I mean, I understand. I mean, if if you've got if you've got somebody coming out of college with like a criminal justice major and their choice is, do you want to go and you want to be a Milwaukee police officer, which is a difficult and thankless job in and of itself? Or do you want to be a correction guard and you look at the long-term prospects and you say, gee, the money is a lot less and I'm going to spend my days essentially trying to manage an out-of-control prison population. It's no surprise to me that you have trouble recruiting people. Right. Yeah. I mean, nobody's – I mean, and the people that, that are being recruited now are uh, – they don't have a work history. You know, we don't require physical tests anymore. Um, we've removed so many, uh, so many of the minimum qualifications that we used to have. 
Um, and basically, you, you get what you ask for. You know, I mean, we're pretty much scraping the bottom of the barrel. And obviously, those people aren't long-term employees. Um, they're going to come there, and uh, a lot of times they don't show up to work, and they end up getting fired, or you know, it's just the writing's on the wall. Right, right. Um, or, or it's like, okay, this is this is the job I got, but I'm going to get the experience or whatever, and get the heck out. No, thanks for calling. I, I look, and I I appreciate this, and this is why I said at the beginning of the segment, you know, mark the tape. If you're going to make a commitment to getting tough on crime. Um, what you need to do is you need to recognize the flip side of this equation, which is you, know, you, you, have to, you have to deal with it. And people don't want to think about prisons. And people don't want to think about the people that work at those prisons. And the, the reality is I think the pendulum has swung too far. And we're finding money in budgets right now to put it back into K through 12 education. I'm all in favor of that. I mean, I think if, you know, you talk to the governor, you know, he talks about how, all right, you know, now we, we've had some of the advantages of Act 10. We're on much more solid economic footing. You, you can't lose sight of the prisons. The problem is a political one because people don't want to deal with the whole issues of, of prisons. Like I said at the start, I mean, if, if you're working at a prison, nobody really calls you up to tell you you're doing a good job. It's just, well, thank God this is another day where nobody got hurt. That's the problem that's out there. Um, just food for thought. It's 222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 225. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks are headed west on a four-game road trip that will take them to Phoenix first. Ted Davis is courtside with our Buckshots pregame coverage starting at 740 uh, tomorrow night here on WTMJ. Great. You can listen to that right before Thanksgiving holidays start. All right. Um, this is a, it's an unfortunate story. I, I don't know that I am surprised, but it's an unfortunate story. Um, Will Allen, who um, was the, the guy, the founder and the CEO of, of Growing Power, which was, you know, Growing Power was sort of this, this urban farming movement. You know, let's... Let's grow all the, this produce and let's grow it locally and let's distribute it to the local areas. And you know, he was a, you know, on TV and on the radio all the time. And I, I had an opportunity to interview him a couple occasions. And, and somebody who was very, very, I think, an outstanding spokesman for this whole urban farming movement. And I, I remember my questions in the back of my mind all along was that this, this sounds, you know, really, really good. And it's one of these things that sounds, you know, great on, on paper and, you know, growing good community-based food. And, and I kept – I've always wondered, you know, th- that sounds like a great thing, but it, how viable is it? And I always, you know, hoped that this was, you know, going to work out. Well, um, it, it, it hasn't apparently worked out. I mean, the story is that uh, Will Allen is retiring from Growing Power and uh, Growing Power uh, huge – you know, financial issues, um, pending judgments totaling almost half a million dollars, according to circuit court records. Um, filings with the IRS show the nonprofit had been running deficits um, for the last several years, at least 2012 through 2015. Some years, those deficits are in excess of $2 million. At its peak, growing power had nearly 150 employees. Apparently, um, it's a lot less than that, 94 employees in 2015 and now less. Um, And it's just, again, it's an unfortunate situation. It was something that really sounded good on paper, and and you wanted to see it work. 
I, I hope that that business model isn't just inherently flawed, and you hope that somebody's going to come forward and be able to step up, and whether it's growing power or something else that kind of reinvents or reinvigorates that model to make it work. But um, I, I'm sort of really sorry to see that news. It doesn't change the fact that I, I think Will Allen, while, like I say, I mean, I think he was a great promoter. Um, he was sort of a self-promoter, but he was also a great promoter of, of these kind of concepts. Um, I, I hope the fact that growing power seems to be you know, having some financial problems doesn't discourage other people from perhaps being willing to take a shot at the same thing. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Packers look to pick up the pieces after a Raven shutout. Next up for the green and gold, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Packers are 14-point underdogs. I do not remember. I, I don't know. Ever since, I think you probably have to go back to before Brett Favre to find the Packers as 14-point underdogs. Coach Mike McCarthy joins Gene Miller with a preview. That's at 625 tomorrow. Tune in to hear Gene and the coach on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay. I, I do this this segment maybe once or twice a, a year. The way I prepare for this show is I, I sit down in the evenings and then in the mornings, and I, I look at all the stuff that's going on in the world, and sometimes it's national stories, sometimes it's local stories, sometimes it might be something that happened to me, sometimes it might be based on something that you, you sent me. And, and I, I look at that and I think, okay, what is, what is interesting to me, and then what do I think will be interesting to you? And then I kind of present it, and, and I try to give you my take on that, and we discuss it. You can agree with me or disagree, or we talk about it. That That's the way I, I, do, I do the show. I'm the one that picks... The topics, and again, I try to find stuff based on what interests me and what I think will be of interest to you. Um, every once in a while, and, and I'm out and about. I talk to people all, all the time. I, I love I love the interaction, and I love people coming up and saying, "Listen to the program." And I, I'm always amazed at the questions that people have, or the, the the things that that are on people's mind that that they want to discuss, or just again, and sometimes it's really heavy stuff, and sometimes it's kind of sillier stuff. I, I, and this is it is a it's not the way I typically do the, the radio show. But once or twice a year, and Gru, this will be the first time that you have been around since we've done this. It's the first time I've done it since we went back to starting the, the noon to three shift again. Um, but I, I call the segment, I was wondering, and this is your opportunity. If there's something that you want to talk about, this, that you were wondering about, that this is this is the opportunity for us to discuss that. Maybe you could say, Jeff, I was wondering if you've changed your position on Donald Trump, or I was wondering why you haven't changed your position on Donald Trump. I was wondering this, I was wondering that. But it's your chance to kind of you know, kind of weighed in on these things and just I if if there was something, there's been something that you were wondering about, this is your opportunity to play. Four one four. 799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't promise to answer all the questions because, you know, some stuff, you know, it's just better left unsaid. But if there's something, uh, again, you, you were wondering about, gee, I was wondering, you know, why this is like that, or I was wondering what you think about how long Ed Flynn's going to be the police chief, or whatever, 414 799 I was wondering. Let's start with... Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. 
Hey, Jeff, I was wondering how you were not broke from going out to all these um, restaurants, sporting <laughs> events, and all these other awesome things you do. I, I you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's either good money management or just really lucky or something like that. Thanks for, Maybe. thanks for the call. Uh, and, and, um, my, my wife might wonder those, those same sort of things as well. 414-799-1620. Um, I was wondering, um, and, and again, no, no limits on this. You know, we'll have a little bit of fun. 414-799-1620. Greg in Hartford. Greg, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I just watched a program last week about Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And he had this thing called Star Wars. Right, the SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative. Yeah. Okay, now is that thing uh, operative yet or is it just canceled completely? Yeah, canceled completely. Essentially, well, I mean, couldn't bring that back in case of North Korea. It, well, you know, I, I guess there was always people that were skeptical that it, it wouldn't work, and so you know, now we've got variations of this. You know, they they have all these different programs where they concentrate on trying to, you know, make sure they can shoot down missiles. I'm I'm not sure how practical that is or not. But yeah, remember, you know, Reagan. Everybody made fun of Reagan. Oh, this Star Wars stuff. Who's going to do that? Right. But uh, yeah, it it's if they would have been able to really develop that technology, maybe it would have been a safe. For world. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Okay, we'll be back with more. This is this is your chance to direct the conversation on the program. Um, if you've been wondering about anything, I just call the segment I Was Wondering. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Anything is fair game. Don't say I'll always answer this, but uh, I, this segment, I do it twice a year probably. I Was Wondering. Let's see. Uh, here's one of our text line. I was wondering, when did you get married? <clears throat> About two months ago. That's an easy one. I, 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 I was there. I remember um, that one. Uh, let's see. Rocky, I was wondering, what's your favorite steakhouse? Huh, okay, free ad. I'm going there tonight, as a matter of fact. The Jackson Grill on uh, the, 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 uh, the Jackson Grill. Um, there's a lot of good ones around, but that's my, my favorite one right now, going there with my best friend. Um, let's see. I was wondering, Jeff, since my wife said her recently purchased Ugg boots would be her Christmas present, does that mean I don't have to put anything under the tree for her come Christmas? Huh. Um, no, <laughs> I I think that that's I think the UGG boots and something else that would just be my advice. Let's see, Velen Walkish says I was wondering, will you ever go back to being a prosecutor? We need you in the court system. Well, that's very kind of you. Um, I, I think that that's highly unlikely. Being a prosecutor is a really tough job too, and um, in many respects, it's a young it's a young guy's job or a young woman's job. I don't mean to be sexist about that, and. Um, I loved it back in the day, but uh, the hours were brutal if you care about that. And I, I'm, I think that ship might have sailed. Um, let's see. Justin says, I was wondering if you think we'll ever see the day when all the freeways in Milwaukee County have four lanes each way and I-43 all the way up through Grafton has at least three. <sighs> Boy, that would be nice for everybody who's ever been caught in that traffic jam trying to go north on 43 where you lose the lane right around Bayshore and every day it is a nightmare. Wouldn't that be nice? Okay, here's our text. I was wondering, do you think the Common Council will be able to get rid of Ed Flynn and get a more aggressive towards crime chief? No, the, the answer is no. I mean, it's it's not going to be the crime uh, Common Council's call. Um, they're not going to have the authority to do it. Um, as long as Ed Flynn has the support of Tom Barrett and as long as Tom Barrett is the mayor, Ed Flynn will continue to be the police chief. Um, and I guess depending on who the next mayor is, that'll tell us where we get a, whether we get a police chief who is more aggressive towards crime or 
is more into the touchy-feely Carrick, uh, the touchy-feely situation. Um, let's see. Mitch in Sturgeon Bay says, I was wondering, what's the current status of the coyote or coyote situation in suburban Milwaukee County? The problem is there, it, it's still out of out of control. Um, out of control. All right, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Sarah in Glendale. Sarah, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I don't listen every day, but I was wondering... Well, Sarah, you don't listen every day. See, you miss. You think what you might miss. You need to be listening every day. Well, it makes my head swim <laughs> when I think of it. I was wondering how your dog, Sasha, is doing with the new move and the new living arrangements and so on. Oh, my! thank you for asking. My, my sweet little dog, Sasha, she's about two and a half years old, and she is just wonderful, and she is the light of my life. And I think, as my wife would tell you, she's the light of her life as well. And Sasha, thank you for asking, is doing extremely well for people who don't know. Sasha is my, um, Sasha is my puppy. I have a, I have a five-and-a-half-pound Pomeranian who thinks she's a human being and um i i'm told i spoil her but um yeah well that's that that's what they're there for 414-799-1620 let's talk to uh let's see we've got uh tim in sheboygan tim you're on wtmj good afternoon tim 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 okay lost tim let's talk to um is it lil in genesee depot Yes. Hi, yes. Um, since I am part of your radio family, I was wondering if you could tell us, uh, without too much personal information, uh, just tell us a little bit about your new wife. Tell me. Okay. Well, um, all right. That, that, that's fair enough. Okay. Let's see. Well, thanks for call that. Um, my, my new wife, we've actually known each other for, for decades. As a matter of fact, um, her name is Fran, and she used to uh, actually my, my late wife Sue and I were were friends of hers. She she used to manage a restaurant that we would go into all the time, and she will tell my Fran will say to everybody about how she said, I, I actually think I, I liked Sue better than I liked you. <laughs> we always get a laugh about that, but we were we were we were friends, and um, again I think people know that uh, my my first wife passed away due to cancer, and we uh, just kind of just hooked up and uh, started started talking about stuff and one thing led to another and I cannot tell you how happy I am but thank you for asking it's been uh, I really feel like I've gotten a, a second a, a second chance at life in many respects and it's just a wonderful sort of thing but thank you very much for asking let's talk to um let's see let's talk to Bill in Plymouth Bill you're on WTMJ good afternoon yeah hi thanks hi. for taking my call yes, sir I was just wondering what your thoughts are on why there is no middle ground anymore, no matter what the subject yeah. is or what we're talking about. Everybody's on the left or on the right, and they never can meet in the middle on anything. And I think i got to put myself in that same boat, but I don't know why. Well, I, I think it's, it's because... You know, it's interesting. We, we, one of the first callers was talking about Ronald Reagan and Star Wars. Remember back in the day when, when, when Reagan was the president, Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House, and, and they, would, they would go at it hammer and tong, you know, during the day, and then they'd get together for a beer at night. And it used to be that way in Madison, too. And, and nowadays you can't. I, I think part of it is th- there's so much money involved now, you know, and you have all these special interest groups. And, and negotiating and agreeing and making concessions is seen as a, as a sign of, of weakness. And unless you can be absolutely pure on whatever issue it is, you're, you're going to irritate this special interest group or, or that special interest group. 
and it's forced politicians both to the left and right. And I, I think it is unfortunate. And I unfortunately, I don't see it changing anytime soon. You know, so, Thank you. Yeah, you know, thanks for calling. I, I I just don't. But I mean, it's it, it's and, and it's one of the reasons why. And I say this on the program from time to time. You know, God save us from ideologues because. The, the, the truth is there's never going to be a perfect piece of legislation. I, I mean, unless you get to be the king and you get to be the one that drafts it. There's always going to be just different things that you might think are better or worse, but we can't even we can't even agree with that. Okay, let's see. Derek wants to know, what's your favorite? I was wondering, what's your favorite golf course and what is your handicap? My handicap is my follow-through. No, um, I, I play to about a 17, which if I could play more, I think it would be better, but, I mean, it gets me around. I uh, routinely, my favorite golf course, well, I, I routinely, I, 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 I played at the Ozaki County Public Courses. Hawthorne Hills is where I play in Sockville a lot. That's my home course. I love, I love, love, love Lasonia in Green Lake, though. If I, if I could only play 36 holes, I would play the 36 holes at Lasonia. 414 um, Seven nine nine one six twenty. Uh Bill in Appleton. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Bill. Uh, two two questions. Sure. Uh, do you and how often do you and Charlie talk? Uh-huh. And what made the change back to the afternoon? Okay, fair enough. Um, I I thanks for call. I I I I mean, I see Charlie occasionally. Um, we we never. You know, we, we were we were work colleagues, and and I I, tr- I consider Charlie Sykes to be a a friend of mine, um, and I think he would say the same thing. And so we exchange occasional emails and things like that, but we never really went out socially. That just he he has his circle of friends and family, and I have my circle of friends and family. Um, I I see Charlie occasionally. He's in the studio a lot of the times. The, the things he does for for example for MSNBC or whatever, he'll he'll come and he'll use the satellite feed here at our TV station. So, I mean, I see him occasionally, and um, we we continue to be we continue to be friends, and I, I certainly wish him the best. Matter of fact, I, I've been kicking myself because I haven't reached out. I really want to have him on to, to talk about his book, and I haven't done that yet, and it's on my list of things to do. Um, as far as what made the, the change back, it was a lot of factors, and we kind of talked about the time. I just, um, I, I'd done this shift for 18 years. Um, my personal lifestyle just for a lot of stuff that's going on, noon to three works a lot better than eight thirty to noon. Um, Steve Scafidi, I think, is going to do a great job in that eight thirty to noon slot. And there were a lot of different factors that went into it. But if you can't tell, I could not be happier to be at the noon to three slot. It's um, I feel like I've come home, and I feel like it's where I belong. Four one four. Seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to let's see um, Jane in West Dallas. Jane, you're at WTM on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi Jeff. Hi Jane. Happy happy wedding. Glad you're happy again, and Thank you. Um, love hearing about your dog. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, we you're going to be at Village at Manor Park. Right. I don't know the exact date. Next Friday, but... week from a week from Friday. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well. Candy Cane Lane starts this Friday, and would absolutely love it. Oops, somebody's playing out in front of me. Idiot. <laughs> um, anyway, would absolutely love it if you could take an hour of your time after you're done there and stop over at Candy Cane Lane and greet our visitors and um, wave to them and collect some money for the MAC fund. Well, let me. I, well, it is a wonderful cause. Thanks, Jane. I, I don't know what the, and I tell you what, thanks. I, I will, we're going to mark that down right now. I, I don't know what 
next Friday, a week from Friday, looks like after like the show and what we have to do. But you're right. I mean, Candy Cane Lane is right out there, so we we will take that one. We will take that one under advisement. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Joel in Milwaukee. Joel, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I have to tell you a story before I tell you to ask a question. I worked for a guy by the name of Bud Holland, who's a greyhound trainer. And the first day I went in the kennel, he said, "Wait a minute, before you go in there, I want you to think about how much you love those dogs. Not that you got a speeding ticket, you got to fight with your girlfriend, or I'm not paying you enough." <laughs> so my question is. Why don't people every day go out the door and think about how much they love their fellow man? Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. I see. I got it. That's. I. I you were wondering that. I. I think. Um, I. I think that that is a a fair question. Maybe the world would be a better place if if we all if we all did in fact feel that way. Um, all right. To tell you what, I've we've. Uh, <laughs> phone phone lines just lighting up. Like I say, we we do this we do this once or twice a year because candidly, okay, uh, Jeff, I was wondering if you would write a book, uh, Jeff Wagner's Rules of Life. Well, there's not that many rules. I don't know that I. It would probably be more like a short story than a book. I I kind of leave the authorship of things to other people. But um, lots of folks want to talk about different stuff. We, we'll like I say, we do the segment about once every six months or so. Because um, generally, I think the program works better if I come up with the topics we discuss. But every once in a while, I I'm always curious as to what is on people's minds. So we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, John McCure in the house along with Melissa Barkley and Greg. We'll find out what they all have on their minds, because I'm wondering what they've got coming up on uh, Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. It's 254.